Welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast, everybody. We've got a full day, a busy day, a full lineup card. Follow us at Seven Innings Podcast, and you can get your lineup. We have uh, we have a little Ford Fusion going on today and some Hackbarth Hoopla from the desert. We're also going to talk about Houston, about Alabama. The Big Ten is back in action this week as well. And, of course, we've got shagging stats all to come up. We're going to jump right in. Beth Mullins, Holly Rowe, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, Jen Schroeder, Jenny Dalton-Hill, and Kayla Bro. And it's time for some Ford Fusion, ladies, because it is all coming together out in Tempe with Trisha Ford and the Arizona State Sun Devils off to a 6-0 start and a recent winner of, game, of a win number 300. Congratulations on that as Coach Ford joins us on the podcast. I know we want to talk a lot of pitching, Tricia, so we're going to let Michelle Smith and Amanda Scarborough lead us on our journey. Amanda, let's go and talk some ASU Sun Devil softball. Yeah, I, um, you know, coach, we go way back to the regional and looking at Ciela Mesa and how far that she has come. She was a transfer into your program. A lot of high hopes for her, a pitcher too, who, when she got to you struggled throwing strikes at, at times and the transformation that she's made with working with you and putting in the effort, what have you seen as far as her growth and being able to, to be a force on your staff? Well, I think um, she's a competitor at heart. And so really it came down to her being tired of kind of where she was at. And, and really, you know, that's what I think our roles as coaches are is, you know, I think, you know, we give them the platform, we give them the tools, but it's up to them to whether or not to decide on what they're going to do with it. And she has just done a tremendous job and she's put in the work. I mean, it's been all her, you know, um, she's in her best shape of her life this year as well. Um, you know, and I think last year put some things in perspective, especially for those super seniors of, you know, this thing can get pulled out of, you know, that rug can get pulled out of underneath your feet, um, at any time. And so, She's come back even this year with more focus and, like I said, best shape of her life and um, has really, you know, developed her change up and um, we're going to start to utilize that and we've started to utilize that. And I think, you know, when you think about Cielo, that's been kind of the missing link. You know, she's got dynamic upward movement, dynamic, you know, curveball, um, but, you know, hasn't had that, that off speed. So that's been something that she's worked really hard on. Coach, um, question for you, um, because I, I know that when we spoke a couple of years ago when you were at the Women's College World Series, we were talking all about the statistics and all the different numbers that you use to really analyze your pitching staff. Maybe run through a little bit. What are the most important numbers that you're looking for from your players so that you know that you're going to have your best matchups every time you write up a lineup? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it's a little there's a little variance. So it kind of depends on who we're going to, we're going to face. But um, for me, some big things are our spin direction. So I really look at their natural profile of what their ball naturally does. And we really kind of build upon that. So when I look at pitchers, um, you know, recruiting, or even those on our staff, I'm not so worried if they have a true rise ball or a true drop ball. I look at what their ball naturally does. And then we work from there because we, we recruited them and we thought they were very good, right? Good enough to play at this level. And so for me to, you know, reinvent the wheel, I think is just not good use of my time. So, you know, I've had kids that had a really dynamic screwball. So we'll throw the screwball in three different zones. And I think that's what we really work on is kind of uh, taking advantage of what their strength 
strengths are. And then for me, the biggest thing is always developing that off speed because I think hitting so much of it has to do with timing and pitch rec recognition, right? So if I can tunnel and make, you know, three different pitches come out of the shoot the same way and change speeds, I think you're, you become very, very effective. So I really work more on kind of where we're at and what our strengths are. And then we tie it into how we can attack hitters. And so um, it drives our hitting coach, uh, our defensive coach crazy because I always pitch to our strength. I'm like, I don't pitch to defense. Like, no, no. You're like, I'm pitching to what we do best. So um, we, we joke about it. But, um, you know, that's my biggest thing is just what, who are you? What's your DNA? And then how can we, you know, expand upon that? Coach, I was curious, we've seen a couple of rules changes and rules emphasis that impacts the pitchers this year, foot placement, how they're getting the signs, and then also with the strike zone and really emphasizing the bottom of the strike zone. What have you seen early um, with your pitchers and how some of these small things are impacting them? Yeah, the, the foot placement has actually been welcomed. I mean, we have some of these kids that have size 11 feet. I mean, you know, try to get on a, you know, four inch, you know, mound. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm not very tall and I have a size 11 foot. So, <laughs> um, but I think that part has been good. It kind of has allowed them to get a little more rhythm, get a little bit more and their, their legs have better hinge movement off the mound, which I think is crucial. Um, I think the, the low strike zone has been uh, interesting. We've had some discussions with um, umpires of just, you know, hey, what's going on here? And I feel like our lower half of our zone has been, consult been called consistently. I feel like the upper half of our zone has not been called consistently. You know, I think obviously I'm biased. You know, I come from the pitching world, so everything's a strike, like that's a strike, you know? Um, but I think for me, you know, our strike zone over the years has turned into our waist, our belly button and below. And um, for me, you know, I'd rather us call a true strike zone. So whether that be kind of your letters to your knees and keep it within the plate, you know, distance. I, I hate the river, like what's the river people? Like it's either a strike or it's not a strike. Like, you know, um, and so I think that's where I really would like, and that's where we spend a lot of our time is being able to manipulate the zone, being able to manipulate timing from a hitter's perspective. Cause that's our job, right? Like have go ahead hitters, like go into the box, you know, going back into the dugout and say, Oh, I just missed. Well, you just missed. So that's, that's our job. So I think that piece, you know, we'll see how it kind of evolves, um, and, and go from there. the sign thing we've been practicing. You know, some of these these rules are to slow down the game. I really think umpires do a tremendous job of keeping the game at the right speed. But we, you know, we come up with these rules that I just follow them. Like, okay, you tell me it is, I'll do it. But I don't really think it it, it changes the game. Um, you know, we we did have a kid here a couple of years ago. She's now at um, oh, I think Southern Miss, but she was deaf and legally deaf. And so when you have to take the sign and you kind of contract that timing, it stressed her out. So I think, you know, some of these things are, you know, have, and you know, consequences that we didn't really intend, but I think we just go with the flow, but I have liked the, the spreading out of the legs. That's been, been very beneficial, I think. Well, and coach with how many times you've had to just play inner squad scrimmages through the fall and then also through preseason, how do you think that helped or hurt your pitching staff and also on the other side, your hitters. 
Yeah, so we we have um, a couple of young arms, so in Lindsay Lopez and to and with Allison Royalty, and so um, Royalty comes from the travel ball world, and you know her rise ball was up at the eyes, and she's you know walking, 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 and I'm like, sister, we don't we don't chase that thing up there anymore. Like you know these are big time hitters. You're gonna have to work you know figure out how to manipulate that zone, and so I think it made her better. Um, you know, I think we were laughing, um, kind of when we sit down after each tournament and kind of, okay, what'd you think, you know, you know, just give me some thoughts. Like I'm a real, I've learned to listen more and not talk as much because when I can understand what their lens is and how they're seeing their reality, I think I become a better coach. Cause then I can, okay, like I get, you know, and, I, and so I think the important thing is to have that you know, they can say some, you know, what I would say stupid things, you know, cause I'm like, what the, you know, but I think I need to know that. And we need to have a safe space that they can really express what's going on so that I can figure out how to coach them. And so with, with Roy, especially this first, you know, her first weekend out, um, you know, she was almost too much in the zone because she had been so used to hitting off of our, you know, hitters. And I'm like, Hey, you got to spread that plate a little bit, sister. And, and so we talked about, you know, getting her rise ball to extend. And, you know, we had too many like hits with two strikes that, you know, were too close to the zone. So, and she started teasing me. She goes, a couple of months ago, you were telling me to get it down. And now you're telling me to get it up. And I'm like, yep, that's right. <laughs> So, um, you know, that, that piece has been really good. And, and then after our pitchers throw live to our hitters, um, we have them like digest to each other. So I'll bring the hitters in and I say, okay, what did you guys feel from the, the pitchers and pitchers? What did you feel? And that has been really eye opening because it gives the pitchers, even when they don't feel, you know, um, like they threw their best. And I'm like, Hey, you're going to have to go out there and beat top 10, you know, top 10 programs, not feeling your best, like welcome to the pack. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, it's like figuring out how for them to get out. It's like, okay, you're not getting strikeouts today, but let's get ground ball outs. Let's get pop flies. Like there's nothing wrong with that. So I think that piece has been really good. And I think it's helped our pitchers a lot, you know, especially with the young ones of getting them out there and then be able to, to face a top offense. That's great questions about pitching. Um, when I think of you, Coach Ford, I think of someone who is such a great person for your kids. It's almost like you're this mom. I mean, it, you are a mom, but you connect with your kids, but you're also, you also show them tough love. And I can hear that in what you're talking about, your expectations of your pitching staff. When I watch your team play, when I follow you guys online, there is a level of swag and sass and personality. How are you as a coach balancing that energy, not allowing it to get too far? And then also one step further is you guys are one of the only stadiums in the pack that's gonna allow fans. So how does that energy, how's that gonna change when you go to a place that doesn't have that external energy? And how are you, how far are you gonna let that go? Just talk to us a little bit about that culture that you're building. Yeah, um, we talk a lot of smack around here. So <laughs> um, when when I'm throwing BP and uh, sometimes, you know, I'm an old lady, but, you know, I still feel like I got it, you know. So I'll throw BP at them when we're scrimmaging, just BP, but I'll start spotting it and throwing change. And so I, you know, we talk smack back and, back and forth. And that's, to me, this is a game. Like, this should be fun, right? Like, I get to go out in 75-degree weather. I'm pretty sure it's February. 
and play softball. Like this is your best time of your life. And that's what we talk about. You know, I want, for me, it's about really enriching the lives and showing them what a strong, confident woman looks like. Right. And that's what I want them to do. I want them to, you know, I always say like, I want you to find your voice. Like I want you to question, like, I should be able to tell you as a coach, okay, this is what we're going to do. And if you don't understand it, or you don't understand why, like ask, because when you, you know, I think about this, like when you have something wrong with your body and you go to a doctor's and they're like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. Nothing's wrong. You know, you're not fine. Like go figure it out. Like go stand up and say, listen, like something's not right. And so that's what I want like when they leave here that they can stand up, you know, I tell them like, you better talk smack back to me. Like, let's go, like, let's fight. Like, you know, not literally, but like, you know, let's get after it. And so I think as you can see, like, that's my personality. Like that's who I am. I, you know, I think there's something that we do really well is we don't, we don't give up until the last out. We've had tremendous amount of, you know, comebacks, Ali Tattenall. I mean, good Lord. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's my, like kind of one of my pillars is that we don't ever give up. Like we, we will throw the last punch, like you get back up and you keep freaking fighting. And so, um, I want them in life to be like that. And that's really what, you know, that's why I raise my kids around this too, though, because I want my son to see that. I want him to see strong women that will kick his, you know, what, like don't mess with us, brother. <laughs> So, um, you know, I think, you know, that's, that's just mean. And Jen, you and I, we go back a long, long time. So, you know, <laughs> I'm feisty. So, um, but getting back to your second part of your question, the fans, um, right now we're allowing four player guests. And so that's kind of how we're getting into it, um, getting through it um, because the PAC 12 right now, there's no guests at all, or no, I should say fans allowed. Um, so we're allowing visiting teams to have 25 and then our players can each get four. So that's been tremendous, you know, for me and all, a lot of us here understand this, like, I want to see my kid play, like they only get to play for four years. And I, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and I'm not judging. I'm just saying we're really, I'm just feel very fortunate that our administration has figured out a way to maneuver through all of this and, um, you know, be able, you know, for a parent and grandparents to be able to see their, their, you know, kids play their daughters play, I think is really important because what people don't understand when you're a high level athlete, it's not just the kid. It's so many sacrifices of grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and aunt and uncle and kind of everybody. I mean, taking them to lessons. I mean, you guys have all lived it. you you've all lived it. You know what it looks like. It's not about really the kid. It's really about that support system. And so, you know, for me, it was really important that we try to get them here and get them to be able to play, see them play. So. Well, that, that is the perfect entree then to uh, number two on our, on our lineup card. We are with ASU head coach, Trisha Ford. And what better way to wrap things up than with a little hat barth hoopla and help America get to know Maddie and Kendra a little bit better. So here we go, rapid fire. You need to tell them. I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me if it's Maddie or Kendra. Okay. Jenny Dalton Hill, which one bat flipped after a Utah home run and then on social media said, go fetch, Jenny Dalton Hill? Uh, they, were, they were barking, and she said, Kendra, go fetch. <gasps> I think it was Maddie. Was it Maddie? Dang it. Maddie, I get that one. I get that Dang one. It. No. My youth. 
And I loved her spirit and how spicy she was, Coach. I wondered what you thought about her tweet. The only thing I didn't like, it was, it was against my use, but yeah. I loved the spice. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm very old school, but I like the little spice. Like, let's bring some spice to our game. Let's bring some spice to, it's really not ever against anybody else. It's really about us. And so that's Maddie. Like she's got to get herself to that state and she, that's where she competes from. So you'd love her. Like you hate her if she's not on your team and you absolutely love her when she's on your team. All right, here we go. Shro in the know, which Hackbarth got engaged last summer? Kendra or Maddie? Kendra. Kendra, that is correct. Michelle, which Hackbarth bats lefty? Maddie or Kendra? Maddie. Oh, that is it. How does a Southpaw get that one wrong? (laughs) Holly Rowe, Holly Rowe, which Hackbarth once got an autographed Crystal Bustos bat at a Jenny Finch softball camp? Kendra or Maddie? Think about the power hitter. Think about the power hitter. Maddie. Maddie is correct. Yes, yes. (laughs) Bro, bro. Which sister prefers skateboarding and video games over her other sister's snowboarding and dancing? Maddie. Maddie. Maddie, that is correct. Yes, yes. Scarborough, according to a newspaper story I read, Mom Mary calls the girls by what nickname? Wonder Twins? Dynamic Desert Duo or Hack Attack? <laughs> the first one, uh, Hack Attack. Oh, I'm sorry. It is actually Wonder Twins, spelled with a U. Oh, I didn't. I really didn't think it was that one. <laughs> Coach Ford, which twin is older, Maddie or Kendra? Maddie. Maddie, that is correct. Okay, here we go for a twenty-five dollar <laughs> gift card. The first one to get the correct answer wins it. According to Kendra's social media, she has a love affair with what fast food restaurant chain? In-N-Out Burger. No. Chick-fil-A. No. That coffee place that's popular in Arizona. No. What a burger. No. Think of Chihuahua. Talk about Michelle Smith is a winner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before Coach Ford leaves us, can I ask one other question before you? At Barth Hoopla. Take us away, Holly. Okay, so you like spicy, so I want to be spicy with this question. Um, oh. You guys are taking on Oklahoma this, this weekend, yes. and you may or may not face your former ace that led you to the World Series, G. Juarez. So how is that going to be, and, and how are you kind of talking to your team about that? You know, we haven't really, I mean, the elephant's in the room, like we're preparing. That's what we do. G is a tremendous, you know, obviously pitcher and, you know, um, decided that this wasn't a good fit and went to Oklahoma and and has done tremendous there. But I think for us, you know, it's about, that's one thing that we really, there's so much noise outside, right. And nobody really understands what our, our insides are like. And so for me, it's just been like, let's prepare, let's prepare, let's go out. We mash. That's what we do. I don't care if you're left-handed or right-handed, go up or go down, we mash. And so um, that's been really our focus of just, let's get after it. I mean, they're excited for me to sit here and say they're not excited. I'd be lying to you, but you know, they're excited. Like this is a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity because we're playing a great team, a great program. And for us, we have nothing to lose. Like let's go out there. We're on our home court and let's get after it. And so we're, we're excited. We're, we're itching to get out there. 
Beth, can that be right. the name of the episode? We mash. I think we mash. That could be the name of our episode. I really that love is, that. That we is the mash. leader in the clubhouse at this juncture. We mash. Thank you so much, Coach oh, Ford, for joining us guys. on the program. Yeah, thank you. ASU Oklahoma, keep an eye on that this weekend. All right, a little fun with Hackbarth Hoopla. Good job, ladies, on the trivia. Let's move down the lineup card. Number three, Bama Bashes. So the big series uh, this past weekend, and it doesn't count uh, towards the SEC, but they wanted to get together and play each other anyways. Bama and LSU, and, and it was tied with the two-game sweep. Who wants to lead us off here talking about the big series last weekend and, and a much more impressive start for Alabama uh, than a year ago? Well, one of the things that I thought was uh, impressive about Alabama is just the way they controlled the game, the way they capitalized on LSU's mistakes and the big hits at the right moment um, from the offensive perspective. Defensively, in the circle, I thought that their, their pitching was outstanding. A couple of times they stubbed their toes, but they were able to come back. And, you know, I, th I think the thing that Coach Murph has to be like super proud of for Alabama is the fact that he's got a great pitching staff. But when your offense is putting up five, six, seven runs a game, think about the confidence that you have in the circle, knowing that, for instance, Montana Fouts, she gives up a couple of home runs. Hey, it's okay. I know that my offense has my back. I'm still going to come out with a W. So I was impressed all the way around with Alabama. Yeah, I thought they looked like a complete team, Michelle. And some things stood out to me. Obviously, Kaylee Tao offensively was on a tear. I mean, National Player of the Week, no doubt. But there was a couple other positions that really uh, hit a chord for me. I thought Alyssa Brown in the nine hole did an absolutely fantastic job of turning the lineup over. I mean, she's hitting above 600 on the year already, and she could be a leadoff hitter, but they're putting KB sides, who, by the way, didn't play half of the game on Sunday. So Alyssa Brown became the leadoff hitter, did a really good job putting pressure. And if you have a nine-hole hitter that's that strong, you're going to get the top of the lineup and the big hitters like Bailey Hemphill and the freshman Bailey Dowling, who looked like an absolute gamer as a freshman, steps up against a ranked LSU opponent, says, I'm going to close the door in game two and put the nail in the coffin and get this run rule victory in the fifth inning. I think that's huge. And so you look at those pieces of an offense and that shows me a competitive, talented team that understands what it takes to win. I'm glad you brought up Alyssa Brown because she's been whatever Patrick Murphy needs at times. And he had talked to us a few years ago about how to be the number one and to be the leadoff at Alabama, you have to be special. If you look through their history, when they've been a special team, they've had somebody that sets the table and sets the tone right out of the gate. And she has and has not done that at times. But this year, she is hitting 624, I think, over 620. And I'm just like, way to go, Alyssa Brown. It, you know, this season coming in and being exactly what they need. When they're special, they have that player at the top of the lineup. And I'm really excited for her. But I want to say I am shocked that Michelle Smith, in her runcheon of this game, did not talk about the free passes. I thought in game one, that's what really sunk LSU in that 5-2 to two mm. loss. Um, and then the 13 to five loss, six free passes in that one. So Shelby Sinceri picks up her first loss of the season for LSU in the first game. And then mm -hmm. Shelby Wickersham in the second game. And those free passes, I thought were a big issue. I can't believe Michelle didn't bring that up. That's your, <laughs> that's your mojo, Michelle. 
It is my mojo, but remember a free pass is also errors. And and I thought that yes. uh, we talked to coach Murphy last week. He always talks about the freebie game. He considers free passes, not just the base on balls, but it's anytime you're giving up 60 feet. So it's defense, it's everything together. So his is an expanded free pass, but yeah, you're right. The pitcher is absolutely, that is like the cardinal sin <laughs> when it comes to that. But um, I was, I think I was surprised um, more so by the LSU defensive errors because that, yeah. that is a very talented team but remember they're playing it in road stadium and it can even without fans it can be intimidating yeah that there there is still time for them to clean things up but certainly some concern for lsu with with the struggles in the circle and, and on defense usually their calling cards so alabama an impressive uh, weekend uh, win twice over lsu uh, we also are continuing the parody party that we're seeing around college softball as we move into the cleanup spot in our lineup. Uh, most notably, I guess, would be Nevada taking down Washington last week. Uh, Miami of Ohio upset Tennessee, their first win over a ranked foe in nine years. Southern Illinois uh, beat Mississippi State. So we're continuing to see, um, you know, schools getting opportunities and making the most of them. You know, and one that really stood out to me was the Missouri loss to Iowa State. I felt like that was truly the game of the week for Iowa State. We saw people like Sammy Williams really step up. But I think it just alludes to the fact that there is this really strong parity when you're looking at probably 10 through 25 in the rankings this year. Um, another uh, another parody party to me was the Virginia Tech FSU series. I don't yeah. think anyone expected Virginia Tech to take two of those three games and win the series. It, it hadn't happened in a decade for Virginia Tech. And so, again, I just think that it, we're seeing such strong parity in the sport. And so it's not as big of a surprise when Iowa State upsets Missouri or even Nevada upsetting Washington. As much as that is a shock, when you look at who Washington was throwing, I don't think it truly shocks a lot of true softball fans personally. Yeah, but at the same time, Jen, we saw Washington live on the edge the first couple of weekends where they were trailing teams like Dixie State that usually you see Washington have the bigger number on the score the entire game, but they were making comebacks late in the game and they've had a couple of it and they just couldn't have that same type of comeback against Nevada. And what makes it sting even more is that Nevada beat Washington eight to five, and then went on later that weekend to lose to BYU and to lose to Utah Valley. If you're somebody like Washington, you can swallow that loss. If you know, maybe Nevada goes five and zero on the weekend and goes in on to be an NCAA tournament team, but maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't, but it makes it even harder when they go and lose games that against teams that sometimes are in the tournament and sometimes aren't. Well, and Amanda, don't you think when you look at these preseason rankings, when they come out early on, they're based on last year's projections. And so early on, you don't know what's happened in the preseason or in the fall or how teams have gelled. And the pandemic has thrown in so many different dynamics into this season alone. I mean, I look at an Oklahoma who was behind to Houston this last week. And they had had COVID issues with contact tracing. So they had their starters that weren't there. They Tiara Jennings, we've talked about her a bunch already as a a dynamic freshman for Oklahoma, but she's now played second base, shortstop, and third base for them because of all of the contact tracing. But Oklahoma still finds a way to come back to win five to three. So the bats don't go away. The teams that we see that will prevail will be those that have prepared 
and put people in different positions to be ready for those last minute changes that have to happen because of the pandemic. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jenny. And I think it, I learned a couple of things from, you know, the first two weekends. And I think the parody party goes beyond just losing because I look at Florida who had to walk it off against Georgia Southern LSU, who had to walk it off in the seventh against Liberty. I think wins are going to be harder to come by and people aren't going to be able to overlook that midweek game because everybody's coming to play because everybody's so stinking hungry to play because you haven't played in a year. So I think that changes the dynamic and everybody's going to have a target a little bit harder on their chest maybe even than before. And the other thing that I see, and I think you mentioned it a little bit, Jen, is that I think we're starting to see a discrepancy between maybe the top five teams and then five or six through 25. I think there's a ton of parity and we're not going to really have a clear picture of the true top 25, but I think a couple teams like an OU, like a UCLA, Arizona, Alabama have separated themselves a little bit after the first two weekends. Well, I, I think for the parity discussion, it's really fun to look no further than the ACC because Florida State has dominated that conference for almost a decade. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in sixth place right now in the league, even though it's early in the season. Duke is ranked really high. Um, they're eight and one overall. NC State is four and one, North Carolina four and one, and Virginia Tech seven and two. So it's really exciting to see that parity and that um, competitive balance in leagues that have traditionally been top heavy. I think it makes for a much more exciting season. And, you know, Duke, of course, Peyton St. George got that 8 4 win over LSU in the opening weekend, but they've got depth in the circle. Shelby Walters has also been terrific. And then they've got a basher themselves. If this is going to be called the We Bash episode, let's talk about Deja Davis for Duke. That's a lot of alliteration. She's hitting over 500. We mash, we mash, we mash, um, oh, we mash. We mash. <laughs> so I okay. think another thing moving through the season that's going to be uh, really interesting is coaches' decisions on how they uh, make decisions and write up their lineups on midweek games because it used to be the game where that you used your younger players, you got them experience because that was maybe a, a mid-major and you felt like you were probably 90% sure you're going to win the game going into maybe an SEC conference weekend where you, your younger kids might not get the opportunity to play. So now that there is so much more parity, these midweek games become even that much more important, that much more pressure to feel like you have to win. It almost reminds me, and we had this conversation last week about Pac-12. Now with that four game series, a lot of coaches thinking in the second game of the double header, they're going to use their younger athletes. Well, what happens if there's a rain out in one of those four games, then all three games, that second double header does count in in conference play but also how does the committee look at that game if all of a sudden you know you've dropped three or four of those games uh it, it's going to be interesting all these these midweek yeah. and, and number four games in conference play are going to be very interesting toward the end of the season you're listening to the seven innings podcast beth mullins kayla bro jenny dalton hill jen schroeder amanda scarborough michelle smith and Holly Rowe, uh, with the midweek games no longer a cakewalk. You know these group of fives; they they are they are coming ready to play. And these other mid majors, we're going to head to Cougar Country right now. You're talking about games on their schedule. They just played a doubleheader against Oklahoma. They'll play them again later. But this is a team that's got Mississippi State, Texas, Texas A&M, Louisiana, Oklahoma State, Baylor, um, Holly, all on their schedule still to come. I can't wait to talk to Coach about that because um. I think that as you put your schedule together, what we're seeing is it's hard to get games right now. Every conference has different rules about if they're doing conference only, if they're, how many non-conference you can schedule. So I think that Coach Vesley's done a really good job at Houston. 
we, we all watched, or most of us watched that Houston, Oklahoma game where Houston jumped on Oklahoma quick. Right. Mm-hmm. And let's all remember that Kristen Vesley played for Patty Gasso. Yeah. There was one thing I was in a group message, Amanda was in it. And it was evident that Kristen Vesley was not scared of Patty Gasso and that her team was not scared of Oklahoma. And it was so noticeable in that first inning. I was so impressed by Houston and I'll be interested if they continue to play every team that way. Cause we all know it's easier to play tougher competition than it is to play lower competition. So will they have that energy when they play everyone all year, or is that just something they played up to because it was the Oklahoma? Let's welcome in Coach Kristen Vesley, Houston Cougars, uh, going to join us on the podcast from somewhere on the road in America, ladies and gentlemen, living the good life. And Holly Rowe, take it away for us. Well, Coach, thanks for joining us. I know you're on a road trip right now. And first, we just kind of wanted to start with what the last week has been like there for your program in Houston as you have this epic storm and how you tried to manage that with all your student athletes and what was happening there in the state of Texas. Uh, it was chaotic, to be honest. Uh, we, you know, some were without power, without power back. Some didn't have clean water. You're on the boil only notice. Um, so basically just stay in touch with them as much as we can. The cellular service was absolutely horrendous. Uh, I don't know how that's correlated, but uh, I know they had a hard time there. They couldn't get on social media or TikTok or do their dances. Um, so staying in touch with them was good old, good old phone call. So it was a, uh, it was an experience. It's definitely felt a little bit more like Harvey that happened in 2017. So just a lot of unfortunate events here down in the South. And despite all that, you were able to play against Oklahoma really well. You're up on one of the best teams in the country. I know that you played for Coach Gas. So tell us a little bit about that matchup and what that taught your kids of a, a difficult run rule to start and then really bouncing back and being competitive in that next game. Uh, you know, anytime we get the opportunity to measure up versus top five school in the nation, it's it, it's exciting for us. It's the biggest truth teller that we can see that what we need to work on to be there standing in the World Series at the end of the year. Uh, you know, playing Coach Gasso is like a love-hate. Uh, you know everything she's going to do before it happens, but sometimes you can't stop it. She is one of the absolute best coaches in the game. And there was just things that when you play your alma mater, you can say, okay, this is a situation she would do X and you try to prevent it. And it still happens. Um, that's just a kudos to her coaching and how talented of a team that she has. Uh, we did play really well. Uh, I was really proud with our team. Uh, the, even game one, we did jump out with the lead. Um, we competed even even though the score didn't reflect it. Uh, we played really well and we didn't have very many mistakes and we didn't beat ourselves. Uh, they were just the better team that day. And game two, again, both games, I know the score doesn't reflect it, but we're one swing away. Even in game one, I think they were up by six runs at one point and we had bases loaded with our four, five, six up. Uh, I mean, and with no outs. So you just talk about like different changes of circumstances. It's like, okay, we know we need to improve on to get better, to compete. Um, and then game two, we played a pretty decent game. I think we could have done a couple – I think we could have done a few things better to even get a different outcome that game. Uh, I, I'm curious behind the scenes, Coach. You know, not, not only um, are you friends with Patty, but you're an alum, and, and you have something that a lot of other teams don't have right now, and that's a scouting report on the Sooners. So are there unwritten <laughs> rules, or how does that work when your other friends in the business or other coaches come calling wanting information? How, how much do you divulge? How much do you share? Or is that a no-no? 
that's a hard no. Nah, she's the godfather. <laughs> what Coach Gasso says goes. Uh, I remember my first year, as soon as I got hired, she's like, you should probably hire Jessica Schultz. I'm like, ah. you know, we're kind of going back and forth. And I, I had a conversation with my spouse and they're like, um, are you really not considering doing what coach says? Like, yeah, no, I know I'm not a player anymore, but when she speaks, you listen and you do what she said, because obviously she's been successful. So um, yeah, anybody that asks, they should know better to even ask. And if they there do ask, know. it's going to be a hard no. Why, why is it so important? You, you kind of follow in her footsteps with scheduling really hard in the non-conference with, you know, the likes of Texas and Oklahoma state and Louisiana still to come. Um, I, I mean, again, we want to where we want to be at the end of the year. You have to play somebody good and you have to play them early. Um, and we want to schedule tough. We need to see kind of what we're made of early to know how to prepare better for the season. And as the season goes with circumstances changing with COVID, maybe some injuries along the way. I mean, we want to be able to navigate and have our plan A, B and C set up going up against anybody. Um, I do heavily follow coaches steps of, you know, schedule tough. I think that's the way to go. If we schedule really light and had 30 wins, I, I just don't think I, I would respect, you know, me as a coach or our program because that's not what we're trying to do. It's not about the wins. It's about the quality wins and competing. And if you want to be better, you have to play better teams. All right. Well, thank you so much, Coach. We appreciate the time. Kristen Vesley checking in from Cougar Country. And keep your eye on okay. the likes of uh, uh, Bethany Bush and Sarah Queen and the rest of the Cougars moving forward. They will have an opportunity to make some noise down the road. Thanks for having us, y'all. All right, number six on our uh, lineup card, our father-daughter dance, a, a pretty cool moment uh, for Jerry Glasgow and his uh, daughter, um, Tara Glasgow-Archbald, who is the head coach at Eastern Illinois. They actually played this week. And uh, dad beat daughter, 9 nothing. Sierra Bryan with a couple of home runs for Louisiana. But a, a pretty cool moment to have the two of them together on the field. And, and what is starting to build towards a huge 10 days now for Louisiana with games against LSU, Oklahoma State, and Baylor all to come. We're really going to find out what this, uh, what this group is made of, Holly. Well, I think it really speaks to the competitive nature of the Glasgow family. We've known them in softball for so long mm -hmm. that um, he was not going to take it easy on his daughter. They run towards <laughs> them. So I, I read a, a funny story in the newspaper where uh, the last time they played against each other, her daughter, his daughter was an assistant or volunteer assistant coach. And, and she called her dad and said, hey, my boss wants me to call pitches against you guys. And he said, well, then call pitches against us. Because he was like, you do your job. This is a game. We recognize and support this game. And we are competitive first and foremost. So I kind of love that dynamic. And dad did not take it easy. And I would have been disappointed if he had. You know, I, I played with their other daughter, Erin Glasgow, for a year. She transferred from Notre yeah. Dame and, and went to AM. And I played against their family. I mean, we played against Aaron Jen, I'm sure, in a Southern Force game whenever Jerry Glasgow was a travel ball coach then. And they've just been a live, eat, breathe softball doer, like just so diehard softball fans. So um, anytime they can go up against each other, you know it's going to be a battle. But also, Beth, to your point about their upcoming schedule, Louisiana's, uh, this is going to be big. Right now, uh, some of the polls, if not all have them ranked behind Texas. And mm -hmm. it's a big weekend for both teams to see if Louisiana can come up with some big statement wins. And if they're going to live up to this hype of all these transfers, really good players, veteran players on their team. And are they still going to be ranked above Texas? Do they lose some of those games? Do they go, um, did they go undefeated? Um, I'm super interested to see how they handle this schedule and how Texas handles their schedule this upcoming weekend too.
they have six division one transfers. Like it's crazy mm-hmm. what ULL has. So that LSU game, particularly LSU is coming off kind of this embarrassing weekend against Alabama, or I don't know if embarrassing is the right word, but not playing how they wanted. And now they take on an in-state rival. You know, that's going to be kind of hectic and dramatic. So six division one transfers, Thanks. Sierra yeah. Bryan from Georgia is just crushing right now. Or should I say she mash? And and remember, and as we all know, the Power Five they still have tons of games left that they will be able to uh, put together their resumes for the NCAA tournament. But for the Group of Five teams, these are huge. And for a Louisiana squad that has a legitimate chance at not only getting to the World Series but winning it, you do not want to have to venture down to a Vet Gerard Field at Lamson Park for a regional or a super regional if you are an opponent. Hopefully. If all goes well, we will still be able to uh, have that home field advantage throughout the early rounds of the NCAA tournament. Of course, a lot still to come on what the tournament will uh, actually look like when we get there. But uh, a lot of a lot of fun uh, for uh, for uh, Jerry and Tara to be able to enjoy that moment together. It is time now to move down the seven innings podcast lineup card, and it, it is time for some Big Ten bliss. They're headed to Sleepy Hollow down in Florida to start a conference only 44 game schedule so this weekend and then in two weeks they will be in florida playing games against each other and then when the weather is better in the midwest and they head home they will be playing four game series around the big 10 conference so who wants to lead us off here in what to look for from the big 10 we know in recent years it's been a lot of michigan and minnesota and northwestern trying to make some noise Looking at this schedule, I just, um, I mean, there's so much to look for because we haven't, it's been two weeks and they've just been sitting watching games. It's got to have been just killing them to Mm -hmm. just not been able to play, but their schedule this upcoming weekend, they have three days of double headers. So I'm thinking from a player perspective, like I hated double headers. Like, I don't know, Jen, Jenny, Michelle, okay. Like I I hated double headers. They have three back to back to back days of it. And they have, why, why, why did you hate them Be- they just seem so long I don't know oh my gosh they just seem so long and I, you just my feet hurt from wearing my cleats for so long there was we little time to grab a pb and j the longest ever we want long gate we want long we <laughs> I, I mean, Can I'm I so glad you had the PB and J, the PB and J in between games was the oh, slices. Come on. I used Maybe to throw it's... the double header, not just play the double. <laughs> oh, the double header. I mean, come oh. on. <laughs> they, you, they haven't been playing. So it's like, they're going to yeah. go from doing nothing to having three days of double headers. It's just, that's where my mind went when looking at the schedule. And I know you wanted to talk about the teams, Beth, but <laughs> There is no better exhaustion than teenage travel ball exhaustion after playing four games in one day in 90 degree heat. Are you kidding me? There's not a, there's not a, a it feels different. I saw a funny tweet this weekend that said, um, congratulations, softball America. This is the last day you won't be sore until June. Like they're just going to be steady sore for the rest of the season. That's what it is. Are we weak? Come on, you guys. I'm going to take you back 25 years to when the Pac-10 played double headers every single matchup. We would pick those opponents based on location. Well, who matches up with UCLA? 
Washington? You've got to be kidding me. And we would play a doubleheader at UCLA and then the doubleheader at Washington. So don't give me that this doubleheader stuff is hard. But you guys were used to it. That's the difference is you played it all the time. We did it and we had to mix in a random double header. And Michelle, you threw them. I caught them with big old clunky gear on, okay? Uh, so bad after those games. And the PB&J would be lucky if there was like a banana I could slice and put a little bit in it, you know? <laughs> I, I will say this, just to get back on a serious topic. I ran into some of the Big Ten coaches during football season. Uh, some of the softball coaches and I'll, I'll keep them anonymous so I don't get them in trouble. They're not really happy about this conference schedule. They are not happy that it's conference only. So obviously weather's an issue. So they've got to get out of big 10 cities and go somewhere where they can play, but they would have kind of rather been playing other people. But when they were making these votes and setting their schedule, COVID was, was a little bit worse than it is right now. It was right in the peak after the holidays. So I think the coaches are probably a little frustrated that they've been sitting at home and that they're not getting non-conference opportunities. So they'll have to make the most of these matchups here in Florida. Yeah, and, and Holly, to, to follow up real quickly on that too, you, you know, you have the preseason poll come out and you have the first two weeks of polls come out and it, you could just watch the Big Ten teams just dropping, dropping, dropping because they're not playing. So absolutely, it has to be very daunting for these coaches knowing that, hey, you know, how am I going to get my team not just ready to play, but then ready for, you know, the postseason once they get there when they're only playing their own uh, competition and conference. It, it's tough. They're in a tough position. Yeah, that, that's going to be, uh, you know, one less thing, a piece of criteria that the selection committee at the end of the season will have to work with. And when you look at the poll this week, you got Michigan at 17 and Minnesota at 22. And that's where they're going to be starting out. Those two teams, I think, should be amongst the hungriest in the country, because remember last year they got off to slow starts. So they want to get off to a much hotter start. And oh, by the way, one last thing about travel ball. Twizzlers are better than red vines. Do not at me on that. That's true. All at you. That is not true. Oh, no. That's Twizzlers way better. Way better. Red vines get mushy. They melt more. Twizzlers have more oomph to them. They stay together better in the heat. That's proven. Mm. And mm. one other good PBJ story. Do you guys remember the year Georgia has had a, a woman, uh, her name's just flown out of my head. But did you guys know that they would mix the peanut butter and the jelly together before they put it on the sandwich? And it was spectacular. What? I'm, I'm just telling you, that's a secret out there that everyone who's ever played at Georgia, if you know, you know. Softball right. snack tips from Holly Rowe. Maybe we're, that should be a segment. <laughs> we're learning We're learning a lot of good things. Twizzlers have more oomph. Trisha Ford has size 11 feet. Uh, it, it, you don't get this information anywhere else, do you? <laughs> Uh, hey, there was also was. there was also a little bit of a fashion forward commentary going on this week uh, between Beth Moens and Michelle Smith watching uh, Kaylin Arnold. Just saying, there was the K cap, the K cap. Yes, it's. Yep. I want to see more of that this weekend. I want to see if it catches on. Hopefully, one day we will be live again on site, and I will be wearing a K cap for sure. <laughs> Well, sure. it's because she, she's gone with the big curly hair, you know, she, she had shorter hair and I noticed in her headshot before the season started that Kaylin Arnold was really embracing that curly side. So as I said, yes. zoom watching Michelle Smith's hair be bigger than life and Beth Moen's with the lion mane. Like, I think the curly hair is in right now. Yes. <laughs> oh, all right. From big 10 bliss down the lineup card to Number eight, every week, it's our favorite segment. It's time to shag some stats. 
this week on Shaggin' Stats. We're going to shake things up this week. We're going to let Holly Rowe go last. That's how good her stat is. And it's also going to lead us uh, into Peyton Gottschall, one of the stars of the week as we talk about players of the week. I'll lead things off for us if you want. You know, when you go to the Rhodes house, one of the banners along, uh, which uh, outfield is it, bro? Left field line or right field the line? The right field line. The right field line, the sign on the foul pole, two out, so what? Alabama this past weekend at the Bama Bash hit 487 as a team with two outs, shagging stats. What you got, Kayla? Hey, I'm going to go to, um, you know, from the Rhodes house to my hometown of Eugene, Oregon, and I'm going to shout out the freshman Pac-12 player of the week, Alyssa Brito. She had a great batting average, hit over 500, seven RBIs, two home runs, at a double and a triple. She is making waves in the Pac-12, big standout freshman. I'll go next. I'll take us to the SEC. Right now, Kentucky is 9-0 on their season, but the number of the day is 107. They've scored 107 runs in those first nine games, the most in an F for any SEC team in their first nine games. Well, earlier, Jen mentioned how Virginia Tech hadn't beat Florida State in a series win in like a decade. And a big reason that Virginia Tech got that series win was Keely Rochard in the circle. She threw 12 innings against Florida State and nine of them, she didn't give up a hit. Six of them, she didn't even have a base runner get on. So she threw phenomenal against Florida State to be able to get that good ranked series win against ACC opponent. I'm going to the Big 12 and the all-time doubles leader in Sammy Williams, uh, Iowa State upset Missouri. She hit 438 on the weekend with two bombs on base percentage of over 500, 526. She's a stud. Smitty, I think you're up. Uh Yes, I, I, I am up. And, and she's I, searching, I, America. She is searching. I, I am. Well, because Jen Schroeder and I kind of talked a little bit over our stat, and I think we had a text miscommunication. Oh, my God. <laughs> dubs Iowa State. You dubs it, Michelle. Jenny, what is up with that? Uh, no, listen. So, listen. It, I, it, it's all good. But I'm actually looking, going back to the NCAA stats, trying to find where, as I mentioned last weekend, and why I can't pull it back up because I have too many um, – uh, open is the the number of pitchers that have a 0.00 ERA still to this day, which oh. I think is uh, is impressive. So um, I will get that stat for you here in one second. Um, but of course, for some reason, I okay. Well, you know what? You, you win the the Hackbarth Hoopla Challenge and you start resting on your laurels. This is what happens, America. Do not rest on your laurels. Always try to get better. Holly Rowe, what you got for us? Okay, well, there were so many good stats from Peyton Gottschall, who is the redshirt freshman pitcher out of Massillon, Ohio, for Bowling Green. And she has been so great. In her first two starts, she faced 43 batters, struck out 36 of them. Not only that, she's already thrown a perfect game and then had 20 strikeouts in a shutout. Peyton Gottschall joins us to tell us what is special about her this season. Well, we have the strikeout queen herself. Peyton Gottschall is just off to an amazing start. I was trying to do math, and that's never a good idea, but I think I figured out you've faced 132 batters so far this season, and you've struck out 94 of those. How are you doing it? Um, it's really a lot of my catchers doing it for me. Like, honestly, I wouldn't be able to do it because they're back there framing, holding the pitches in the spot. It's really a lot of the work on them. Like I'm just pitching it and they're making it look good for me. 
You're a redshirt freshman from Maslin, Ohio. And although you did get to play some last year in that shortened season, this is your first real season. You got off to a school record start in your very first game with 20 strikeouts in a seven inning game. What allowed you to be so focused and so ready right out of the gate? Um, honestly, I think it was kind of going back to last year, how our season got cut short and just kind of using that as motivation and, um, just kind of like being able to get back out on the field with our team really was emotional for me and just kind of put me in that mindset where I was just ready to get back out there. And honestly, I, I kind of wanted to cry when um, I was out there on the field with our team when we were starting, but um, definitely using the motivation from last year, just bringing it this year. Okay. Keys to really, pitching near the zone and getting those K's um, without giving up hits. I think you've given up two earned runs all season in 94 strikeouts. Um, really, it's just like the pitch calling from our coach. And again, the catchers just being able to frame those spots. And I mean, <laughs> it's really a lot on them. Um, just having like the right pitch calls for the different batters, the different sequences and really just paying attention to the hitters and like if they're dropping their bat head, throw it more up and just like really, it's like a great job for Coach Willis because she's one calling them and really paying attention and focusing on that. And she puts me in that position where I'm able to do that. So it really gives a lot out to her. Okay. You just won't give yourself any credit, but I love that. <laughs> okay. Give me one more thing. What makes you a great pitcher about you physically, what what's good about you and your spin and your pitches? Um, I don't I don't know if I call myself great. We're still working, but um, honestly, yeah, just probably like some of the spin I can get off on the pitches. And I don't know one thing I really use is like my mentality. Like I get um, like really like focused before the games and like kind of just angry, I guess. <laughs> So that's really a lot of what goes into that. Okay. So the strikeouts are from an angry, focused, <laughs> team-oriented pitcher. Is yes. that fair to say? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Peyton Gutschild, thank you so much for being with us today. And congratulations on a red-hot start to the season. Uh, National Pitcher of the Week, Conference Pitcher of the Week. You are doing a great job. Thanks for joining us today on 7 Innings. Thank you. Okay, it was like pulling teeth. She wouldn't say anything good about herself. She only credited her coach, her team, her catcher. Um, she is such an amazing young pitcher and somebody that we should really keep our eye on at Bowling Green. I love, love, love her. Well, and one of the things that I love about her is that she's a redshirt freshman. She's got 94 strikeouts on the season already in just her 43 and a third innings pitch. But the next closest strikeout number to her is Gabby Plain at Washington with 59. So she really is doing such an amazing job in Peyton's done it in six appearances. Gabby Plain has had eight appearances to get those strikeouts. Good gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm back at it. I'm back. I'm back at it. And, and actually I'm going to give two now because Jen is helping me out here. How about Tim Walton, 800 wins, right? There we you go. Outstanding. Outstanding. Okay. But back to the ERA because last week, I believe I was at 45 pitchers with a 0.00 ERA. We're still at 41 pitchers. As of February 23rd, this is on the um, NCAA website, but y'all that's 
impressive. I mean, we've got a lot of a uh, lot of ladies that are are dealing, and um, and obviously always always love to. To, to say as much as a hitter's game and we're talking about mashing in this podcast how about the pitchers that are keeping the ball in the park and keeping those hitters from scoring well done well done tim walton yeah. 800 wins by the way that is awesome he could be our coach of the week uh by the way do you guys know what team florida has beaten more than any other got to be an sec school right with the most meetings do you know where what team they've had the most success against if you had to guess i mean they've They've had it against just about everybody, but Missouri. All right, I'll. Uh, it will be Georgia, Mm-mm. South Carolina, yeah, Kentucky, Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas is close. No, we're gonna go. We're gonna go to Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Knoxville, Tennessee. Yes, thank you. Well done, everybody. Well done. Um, and and is, is so is Peyton Gotch all our player of the week? I think seven innings player of the week this week. I would vote for her. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I would think so. Three complete game shutouts, three three games with double digit K. So she is our seven innings uh, podcast player of the week. That'll do it for another fabulous seven innings podcast. All the good stuff that we learned about Twizzlers and size 11 shoes and K caps and a hard no when Patty Gasso tells you to do something, you do it. We hope you've enjoyed. We match this week's seven innings podcast with Kayla, Jenny, Jen, Amanda, Michelle, Holly, and BMO. We will see you soon on the road to the Women's College World Series.